Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, welcome into Breaking the Huddle, presented by Dr. Pepper. I'm Joel Klatt. What a week one it was in college football as we got things all underway. And now we're back live on Facebook. And that'll be the case throughout the season here in 2016. A huge thanks, uh, thanks to our sponsor for the entire season, Dr. Pepper. It's a college football tradition. No tailgate or watch party is complete without Dr. Pepper. Uh, here's a look at what's on tap for today's show. Fox College football analyst and former Notre Dame Quarterback Brady Quinn is going to join us to talk about the Irish, their opening loss to Texas, and some of the more impressive freshman quarterback debuts. Then I'll debut my weekly top ten, while Bruce Feldman joins me to review week one and also preview week number two. But first, as you know, I always like to get a little something off my chest uh, as we start the show. So this is where I'm headed this week. Seven ranked teams lost. Uh, this first weekend. Now, you know I'm not a big fan of preseason rankings, but we have them, so we have to talk about them. Seven of those teams ended up losing. Four of those teams lost to freshman quarterbacks. This is not your grandfather's college football anymore. It doesn't necessarily pay to be experienced. It's about freshmen, right? So we got four of these guys, Jalen Hurts, Jacob Eason, Shane Bouchel, and DeAndre Francois, either true or redshirt freshmen of those variety with those wins. Now, I believe this is for a very specific reason, and it has to do with the direction that college football has gone in the last few years. I think college football has migrated schematically towards the high school game. Um, I believe that lower levels of football throughout history have always tried to make things easier on their quarterbacks, easier on their offensive linemen, and they've tried to take advantage of a couple of things they have going for them that they don't necessarily have in the NFL, which is space and margin of athleticism. So try to follow me here. When you've got wide hash marks, you've got more space to attack the defense with because as the ball migrates towards one sideline, that leaves a, a whole mess of field what I would call the wide side of the field. So you try to get some of your athletes in that space, space to attack the defense. What ends up happening, though, is that the game becomes too simplified. And as evidence, we've gone towards more of the tempo game and the let's look over to the sideline for the play call game. Then we have the pro style, get in with a tight end and have a quarterback make checks at the line of scrimmage. Simplicity and tempo have replaced details and execution. I believe that this is a volume game rather than a quality game. Uh, kids are much more ready to play that style of football because this is what they play at the high school levels. 
I think that it's doing them a disservice. Now, we see these great performances, and is it exciting? Yes, and it's basketball on grass, and people love the points to some degree. But when you look at the NFL, what we're seeing is any number of rookie quarterbacks or second-year quarterbacks really struggle making the jump from the college game to the NFL. This is because they were playing basketball on grass and not actually playing football. You see, there's a couple of reasons why I think coaches uh, don't necessarily teach the, the, the schematics of the game of what the NFL is going to do. One is they don't r run it, and two is... I believe that they get lazy. There's a lack of knowledge of how to do it. There's a lack of coaching ability. And inherently, they are insecure. So they want to control everything from the sideline, hold up a big sign, and let everyone go fast and tell them where to throw it, rather than teaching them why you would throw it in that direction in the first place. So we've mitigated the entire value of experience because experience is what would teach you why you're throwing this way, why you would remic a protection, why we, why you would do any number of things rather than just my coach is telling me to stand up and throw it to this receiver. That's why you had a lot of freshman quarterback this quarterbacks this week play very well in big moments. And that's why you don't have a lot of rookie quarterbacks in the NFL that come from these spread sets that have any number, uh, any amount of success when they get into the league, the power of why, is where the details lie, and I believe greatness lies in the execution and attention to detail. With that being said, we're going to start with one of the major uh, focal point games of the week one of last week, Notre Dame and Texas. We'll bring Brady Quinn in, and we'll talk about this matchup. First of all, Brady, thanks for joining us, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed um, your kind of opening comments. Uh, um, see, I, I, know I, 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 know I was wondering subject, what, what you were going to think, because I know as a, as a pro style guy, you would like that because we aren't teaching quarterbacks the schematics of the game anymore, are we? No, we're not. And actually, you know, I just did the Arizona BYU game and their offensive coordinator there is Ty Demmer, a guy who played a long time in the NFL. And I talked to him about how he goes about implementing his system. And he said, look, we're going to huddle. We're going to change personnel's. He said, because besides the schematics of all of it, because people, for whatever reason now, forget that the situations matter. And having the opportunity to take a breath, get in a huddle, regroup, and communicate is one of the most important things that just gets thrown to the wayside. And I saw a lot of these up-tempo offenses that we see a lot of times in college football. So, I mean, look, BYU ended up coming away with a win in the end. Um, you know, how successful it will be, I don't know. But it was refreshing to hear that and how much emphasis he really put on communication nowadays in today's college football game. You know, it's interesting, and we'll get to Notre Dame-Texas in, in a quick moment. I want your thoughts on what Brian Kelly just said. But to your point, Detmer and BYU, they executed in the most crucial situation of the game. That last two-minute drive, they drove down and kicked a field goal. As evidence of some of that communication and attention to detail that he's striving for, they were very balanced, over 200 yards throwing the ball, over 200 yards uh, um, rushing the football. So uh, I'm excited to see them. I'll be there for Utah-BYU this week. Now I want your thoughts on Notre Dame-Texas because Brian Kelly went with two quarterbacks. I think yeah. it was born out of quality play from both of these young men last year, Malik Zaire before the injury and Deshaun Kaiser down the stretch. But then he tried to implement that in this first game. And Brady, I got to tell you, it was fairly obvious to me right off the bat in the first quarter, even early in the second quarter, I didn't understand why it took Brian Kelly so long to just go with Deshaun Kaiser, who was clearly the hot hand. Well, I think really it came down to fairness and, and the words that he used. He wanted to see him in a live game scenario. Unfortunately, a lot of quarterback battles are able to kind of sort themselves out in the NFL by regular season week number one because they have a preseason. You know, 
And I think when you're looking at the way Malik Zaire probably played in camp and Deshaun Kaiser, I'm sure they both looked great. Sure. So that being the case, I just feel like it was probably hard for him to make that decision going into their first live game scenario playing against another opponent. And every single instant we've seen Malik Zaire, whether it was Texas last year, LSU in the Music City Bowl a couple of years ago, he showed out and he's played well. Yeah. So I think he wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, the numbers proved out to be something different. And, and I want to more go, go globally here just because Kaiser on his first four drives in the first half scored two touchdowns. Malik Zaire had three, uh, three drives in the first half, zero scores. Yeah. Then Zaire comes out. He gets the first opportunity in the second half. They have to punt it away. And so before Kaiser gets his fifth drive, they're down 31-14. Yeah. So you're spotting some points here, and you were taken away from the rhythm of the offense. I thought that was the reason Notre Dame ended up losing the game. I know you feel differently because of the defense and what they yeah. were giving up, and we can talk about that for sure. But the lack of rhythm offensively throughout the first half and then getting to Kaiser late is what I thought cost them the game down 31-14. Yeah, and you, you can, can make, make that, that case. That's probably a fair case, too, given how well Deshaun played. played. Yeah, that, that really didn't help. It seems so lopsided. I know Bruce Feldman feels this way. Uh, but it felt so lopsided that you're wondering how in the world did the score of that competition last this long sure. when Deshaun Kaiser looks this good. But I think other than the other element to all this is the fact you got a righty and lefty. And you know how your formation plays and all that? That hurts your rhythm. That hurts the sync of your offense as you try to get into a rhythm. So I think that played a part. You know, my biggest question coming into the season, Joel, was do they have the playmakers on the outside to replace a guy like Will Fuller sure. who's got that big playability? And I think that's why I actually looked at that this quarterback competition and said, if you're Brian Kelly, you look at Malik Zayn and you say, he's one of my best players. Yeah. I've got to put him on the field and put him in a situation where he can break off a big run or make a big throw or do something to help our team because we don't know about the other playmakers. Well, guys stepped up. Equipment of State Brown, Torrey Hunter. Uh, CJ Sanders, I mean, Josh Adams, both out of the back of the end. Folsom, Torian Folsom played Terrence well. Folsom as well. So, so, so I think we've seen that they, they've got these playmakers now. And I think this team has now adjusted to Deshaun Kaiser at quarterback and his style of play more so than what Malik Zaire presents. Uh, Matt Larison writes in on Facebook, and we invite you all, uh, everyone that's watching on Facebook Live, to go ahead, throw your comments up. We're going to get to them as quickly as we can here live on the show. So Matt Larison says, can Notre Dame still make the college football playoff if they win out? I would certainly think that uh, winning out for Notre Dame would, would put them right up there, Brady. I'm sure that those in the Notre Dame camp will say that the season's not over, although this is definitely a bump in the road. Yeah, the, the biggest key they need at this point, I think, I think Oklahoma lost, oh, excuse me, Oklahoma lost for Notre Dame was huge. Sure. Because if Notre Dame could run the table, and I think maybe you agree with this, maybe you don't, Stanford to me is the favorite to win the Pac-12. Mm -hmm. So if they beat Stanford, now all of a sudden you've got kind of that weight of saying, okay, we beat the Pac-12 champion, and we've essentially run the table after a loss on the road to Texas, who, you know, maybe you can make the case Texas is going to win the Big 12. I don't know. So that's only going to make that one loss look that much better. Uh, but, but in, in the end, end right, right now, they have to win out. Uh, and they're, they're probably still on the outside looking in. I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of curious to see how this Houston team plays yeah. out. They don't, they don't have a tough schedule, schedule, but they do have Louisville on, on October 1st, I believe. So that'll be interesting to see if they become that kind of that large bid outside the group of five. Uh, but I'll also say this. You know, Jalen Smith, uh, Sheldon Day, that's, that's who Notre Dame had on the defensive side of the football last year. They couldn't stop Christian McCaffrey. I have a hard time believing that they'll be able to stop him this year, given the loss of those two players to the NFL. Uh, although they do have the game at home, so maybe I'll be wrong. 
517 yards that gave up, 237 of those uh, on the ground from Texas. What are your thoughts about Texas, in particular Shane Bouchelle? Because I can tell you this much, I was not as high on them coming into the season, and what I saw was still a very talented Notre Dame team get beat by a team that is clearly rising and going to be a real threat in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, I think Texas has legitimized themselves in a way as far as the team that's really kind of come back to the top of the Big 12 with all the issues of Baylor and all that. I think TCU will still be good, but, you know, you just look at the job Charlie Strong and staff have done really recruiting. That's probably been the key to me is sure. last year when I was watching Texas versus Notre Dame, it seemed like a lot of those top-of-the-line recruits just hadn't matured. And this year now, when you watch Malik Jefferson, you're saying this guy's going to be a top-round talent in the NFL at the linebacker position. And Shane Bouchelle... Uh, his ability to not only orchestrate the offense, the moment wasn't too big. He had all the throws, the touch on the deep balls and all of that. It just seemed like this team really is kind of molded together in the way they go about implementing it. And, and you know, some people can call, call it a two-down system or, excuse me, a two-QB system. I don't see it that way. Yeah, I don't either. I don't, I don't know how much Tyron Swoops is really even going to throw the ball. I mean, the one deep ball he had was about 10 yards off from a wide-open wide receiver. <laughs> um, so I think this will still continue. It's almost reminiscent of, you know, 2007 Florida Gators with Chris yes. Leak and Tim Tebow. Look, Chris Leak was the quarterback of that team. That's right. Shane Bouchelle was the quarterback of this team. There'll be a package for Tyrone Swoops, and that's pretty much it. They'll spring one some passes to keep him honest, but you have to think that this Texas team, especially given the fact that Oklahoma was the favorite last year in the Big 12, won the Big 12, that they beat them last year. I mean, yeah. I'd like to think they have the edge now as well. By the way, remember who the defensive coordinator of that Florida team was? Charlie Strong. You know, so he's got history there of at least seeing what a two-quarterback system, and I, I agree with you completely. This is actually a little bit weird. I, I don't know how I feel about agreeing with you on this much <laughs> stuff. I want to get to <laughs> something that maybe really we're going to disagree on. Um, yeah, the yeah, freshman, well, go ahead. The, go I was going to ask you about the freshman quarterbacks throughout the country, and particularly those four that we saw get wins over ranked opponents, DeAndre Francois, Jacob Eason, who had time at Georgia against North Carolina, Jalen Hurts on Saturday, and Shane Bouchelle, which, by the way, everyone out there, that is our Facebook poll, so you can go and vote for one of those four freshman quarterbacks as the best freshman uh, of the weekend. Right now, the poll sits at Bouchelle is the most impressive at 41% of that poll, so head on over to Facebook and get that poll answered. But, Brady, what would you say? Who was the most impressive to you? Uh, well, it's interesting. I mean, Bouchelle was only because it, it kind of came unexpected and, and really kind of launched Texas, at least in your poll. I think you had him seven in your top yeah. ten. Uh, from what I saw, I gave him a lot Twitter. of love. Yeah, and, and rightfully so. I think they looked like a tough team. They presented with a bunch of different um, elements, some tough things. I mean, Easton didn't really, you know, have that big of stats, so I can't right. put him in that conversation. And Jalen Hurts, you know, you, you look at what he did; it was impressive, but at the same time, Alabama's so talented. You know, I, I, sure, he could be product of that system. So to me, it's, it's Francois and the ability he was able to kind of overcome, um, not even necessarily a bad first half for himself. I just think it was a bad first half for their team. Sure. And he kind of put them on his back and carried them that second half as the ability to run the football but also making some big throws as well. So to me, it'd be DeAndre Francois. He's got to look out for as they kind of head on down the road in the ACC and play Clemson later on this year. Yeah, I thought they clearly looked better than Clemson in week one as Clemson struggled with an Auburn team that I didn't think much of coming in. Um, coming back from 22 points down, a 28-6, I believe, at one point. And you're right, yeah. he hadn't played well. That was a very good old Miss team. And he just put, like you said, them on, on, on his back. I would, here's what I would disagree with. Bouchelle was at home, and he was yeah. getting some help from Swoops. 
Eason was sharing the load with Lambert, and it wasn't as impressive statistically. Francois was, was a neutral site, just like Jalen Hurts, but this is why Hurts was more impressive to me, is because he was playing for Nick Saban, and he fumbled his first play. Like, <laughs> I can't imagine what that must feel like, but he had to think to himself, like, great, crap, I'm never going to see the field again. And they hadn't scored in the middle of the second quarter. It's, I think it was 3-0 USC at that point, and all of a sudden, they get electric like I haven't seen an Alabama offense get electric in a long time. I mean, it was like bang, 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 throwing the ball. He was using his feet. He was the most impressive for me because of what he means going forward. We'll see what Bouchelle and Francois mean. I think that they're, they're going to have their moments. There's, there's no doubt. But Jalen Hurts, if you give Nick Saban and that talented of a roster any type of dynamic threat at the quarterback position, watch out. Watch out. That's why they were clearly the number one team in the country for me in my uh, second week poll. I'm right there with you, and, and I think we, I probably should deduct some points from DeAndre Francois because in shotgun, I think I saw him take a, a, like an 11-step drop or something <laughs> like that, and I was sitting there looking at myself watching the first half going, he's legitimately counting his steps in his drop yes. to try to coordinate with the passing route. I, I don't know how well he, how well prepared he was for that moment yeah. um, when you compare him versus Jalen Hurts, who looked much more poised for the situation besides that one play you mentioned. Uh, OU, OU Houston. I'm sure you got to watch most of it before you went to the stadium on Saturday night. OU did not look good, my friend. No, and, and, I, and I think that's as much to do with the fact of um, the street ball that I think Lincoln Riley from time to time has the ability to allow Baker Mayfield to happen. I mean, yep. when, you, when I watched Baker Mayfield last year, Joel, I don't know if you got the sense too, but he reminded me of Johnny Manziel on the field where mm-hmm. I'm looking at his first read. He's open. It may be a hitch or a short little six-yard hitch. It may be a stop route, a nine-yard stop route on the outside, and he's not hitting it. Yeah. And, he, and he's kind of just take all it. of a sudden scrambling around. Take it. Just take it. I had a quarterback coach tell me all the time, you never go broke taking a profit. If, you, if you've got a dollar out there, take too. the dollar. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those deals where sometimes the easiest read and, and not the most sexy throw is the best for your offense, and that's, that's what we've gotten away from. You'll love these numbers. Okay, so on paper, it looks like Oklahoma attempted 33 passes and ran the ball 26 times, but that's fool's gold because I'll tell you this, five of those rushes were sacked, and uh, Mayfield had 13 total rushes, so five sacks of those – the rest of those eight, probably four or five of those, are pass plays that he decided to take off on in the Manziel-esque uh, you know, escapade. So at most, we're talking about 17 to 18 actually called running plays from Lincoln Riley for one of the best rushing teams in the country. That's not enough. The guy yeah, doesn't I mean, understand his own identity. As a play caller, you can't allow yourself to go into a matchup like that and only call 17 to 18 running plays. Yeah, and I know they wanted to get the ball to Joe Mixon a little bit more in the passing game. I think he was one of the leaders throughout that game. Uh, but the other element of it, too, is you don't have Sterling Shepard anymore. I mean, right. Mark Andrews is a big target. He can catch in the red zone, that kind of thing. I don't know if you can rely on him all season long. D.D. Westbrook is good as well, but not the same type of player Sterling Shepard was. So why not rely on your backfield and running the football, especially when they had those young freshman tackles last year who have kind of matured and come of age, I really thought he was going to kind of go back to what they did after that loss in Texas last year where they started running the football and getting into a better rhythm. And even in that sense, Mayfield started to play a little bit more um, disciplined in that way. And he calmed down some. And it seems like he reverted back to his old ways. I I know that Mayfield finished fourth in the Heisman, but Brady, I don't think he's the type of guy that you want to just throw the game completely on his shoulders like Manziel used to do for A&M. 
That running game was so important for him. Samaj P. Ryan got a little banged up, but only six rushes for him. He averaged over five yards a pop. Joe Mixon had the long touchdown run in the first series. Didn't really get the ball after that. In fact, they ran the ball of those 17 to 18 called running plays. Five of them were in the first series. So you're talking about 12 called rushes the rest of the game. Lincoln Riley, you got to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself who's on your team. Your best two players, Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan, need to get the ball. Yeah, I think this is an issue. It's a systematic issue we're starting to see a lot, Joel. And you kind of hit on it with a lot of these coaches now running this up-tempo system. It's not necessarily taking advantage sometimes of the schematics of the game of football. Yeah. And I think Lincoln Riley, look, he's a young coordinator, all right? This is his second year now in the system at Oklahoma. I think it's just going to take some time for him to realize that when you have to play against the big boys like Alabama and those sorts of teams, you got to be able to run the football. You have to control the time of possession. You have to be able to mix things up, keep them on their toes. These simplified offenses, they're not good enough versus some of the best defensive coordinators, especially when they have talent on that side of the ball. And Tom Herman and his staff do. I think that was the one thing that really shot out to me was, one, the job that they've done recruiting down at Houston. Yeah. But just the fact that you know that's going to be a team to look out for in the future, whether they join the Big 12 or not. I know you think they're not going to and teams won't want them to, but to me, <laughs> Why would the Big 12 not want that team? Because they're going to be a legitimate team contending for the college football playoff. Don't you think they'd want that revenue in their conference? Yes and no. I think I, I think that the Big 12 shouldn't expand for much different reasons than competitiveness, of which we can talk about at length probably after the season. Uh, and it has to do more with their television partners, the conference's yeah. television partners, and not wanting to put us or ESPN in a bad spot financially by just yeah. having essentially a cash call, which is essentially what Bob Bowlesby is threat threatening to do. So it's more along those lines, Brady, but competitively, you're right. I mean, Houston belongs, there's no question, but... I mean, Oklahoma made it seem like William Jackson III was still out there, and I had to go back and I was like, no, he was selected by the Bengals. It's like the 24th pick of the draft. He's on uh, IR right now, though. So that's he true. Unfortunately, suffered an injury. That's so. true. Uh, you can follow Brady on Twitter at Third and Goal. Brady, uh, you've got ASU and Texas Tech this week, which should be like over under 120, like 62, 61, <laughs> right in there. I actually think the Lions at 79. Not that I've looked or anything. It, it might have slided a couple points from 80 or 81. So, yeah, I'd be, I'd be taking the uh, – in that case, too. Both, maybe the biggest disparity between two teams this week that are playing, between how explosive their offenses are and how bad their defenses are, in particular their secondary. Uh, but I know both, both staffs are really hoping that will change in week two. Yeah. Uh, I will – I'll give you a little number. Texas Tech last week only gave up 17 points. That's the first time that they've given up less than 20 points since 2013 when they played Kansas. Then they played SF Austin. So it wasn't as if they were playing I'm just some saying. Sort of I hear you. There was I'm a 60-minute contest, and they gave up less than 20 points. I didn't, I didn't talk about the opponent. Uh, <laughs> hey, Brady, we appreciate you joining us, man. Go follow Brady on Twitter. Uh, he'll be calling that game on FS1 this weekend, and uh, he does a great job. Appreciate it, bud. Oh, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. You got it. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the great freshman quarterbacks, but I saw a guy that I thought is poised to make a Heisman run. Maybe not numbers-wise, but he did some special things on the field, even if the officials took him away. And so we welcome in Bruce Feldman now, our uh, uh, insider extraordinaire who was on the sideline for West Virginia, Missouri this last weekend. Uh, but I was up in Stanford, California, watching Christian McCaffrey he had the punt return that was called back, and Bruce, I got to tell you, live, if that stands, right, if they don't call the block in the back, 
It's one of the most impressive punt returns I've ever seen. He was in the grasp of like three guys at the two-yard line, spins out, and then beats everybody to the end zone. This guy, he's faster now. He's stronger. I think he's going to have a huge year. Let me ask you this, because I'm watching the game in my hotel room, and I'm thinking, so he has this amazing highlight that people are buzzing about on social media. The, the punt return? Yeah, it didn't count, so it's not you know in the official <laughs> stats. But it's still, we can't un you know, it's not like you can have unwatched it. Right. It's like when the the judge tells the jury to, like, strike that from your memories. It's like, well, I can't. It was already said. You know, if you're a Heisman voter, you know, it just kind of reinforced to you, yeah, this guy is so dynamic. And I wonder going forward, you know, he's still going to need big numbers. Sure. I mean, but that was the highlight of the game. You know, we're still we're still talking about it if you, if you watched it. And I think that I was impressed by their quarterback. I thought Burns played very well. Yep. You know, like you said on the telecast, they had some really favorable calls and yep. the secondary go their way. No doubt. So, uh, and it could have been a much closer game. You know, it got away from Kansas State a little bit, but that could have been a much closer game if those calls go a different direction. It's interesting because, to be fair, listen, and, and this is the goal of this podcast, right, or, or show, is to be honest. And I was honest during the broadcast. For the same reason I'll be critical of Brian Kelly, who's a very good coach and a smart coach, I was critical of David Shaw. I thought he stole some momentum from his own team by implementing Keller Crisp because Burns was so good in the first two series. I thought that that rhythm should have just continued. I personally thought they could have blown him out if Burns stays in the game just because of that momentum. Puts Crisp into the game and everything slows down and you start kind of going back and forth. Um, if they stick with Burns, which they did in the second half, I think they've got a chance to be very good. Yeah, and it came back to those calls. If the, one of those calls goes the other way, you know, might have turned into a different game. I thought Kansas State really took it to them, except there was the one big McCaffrey run that kind of changed the momentum and kind of got it back going. Two, the, his two touchdown runs, uh, statistically speaking, Kansas State did a remarkable job stopping Christian McCaffrey. On 20 of his rushes, he gained 50 total yards. On the other two, which were both touchdown runs, 76 yards. One of them they were selling out at the end of the game, and one he was just more special than anybody. It speaks to how difficult it is to stop him for an entire game and how good Kansas State's yeah. defense is. I was saying that before the game. Kansas State is an easy eight or nine win team after what I saw if on Friday they night. If some good play from the – I mean, I did one of their games last year, Joel. They were playing with their fifth-string quarterback. I, I know. <laughs> and Jesse Ertz, they like more. But, you know, I, I would imagine they will get going, Pringle going more. I think they targeted him like 11 times. Mm -hmm. He might have had one catch. Mm -hmm. I think that will get better over the year. And the secondary for Stanford's very good. It is, and they, and they definitely, like we said, got some, got some favorable things that went their way. Um, I want to go to the top 10 in the country because the AP comes out with their new poll. Uh, I'll put mine up uh, right after this, but I want to touch on, Bruce, what the AP did. Um, and so the AP throws out their poll. And like you would expect, they kind of just adjust on themselves. You know, Bama, Clemson, Florida State, Ohio State, Michigan, then Houston, Stanford, Washington, Georgia, and Wisconsin. What did you think when you saw the AP poll today? You know, I don't think – look, I liked LSU to come out of the SEC. From how they performed, they should have been dropped out of the top 25. That was a woeful offensive performance. Leonard Fournette had, you know – had some moments, but they didn't even have 260 yards of offense. Right. They had one offensive touchdown. I'm sorry, Justin Wilcox didn't go turn into being the best defensive coordinator in college football. 
It's not like they have great talent. I don't care where that game was played. To me, they should not have been in the top 25, but I think that's a function of what you're talking about. Are people completely off the bandwagon? I mean, wants that picked them to win. I know he's still trying, you know, beholden sure. to it. Sure. I like Brandon Harris personally. I'd like to see him do well, but it's hard, it's hard for me to say that LSU is, is a elite team if their sure. offense just doesn't figure it out. Um, I want to go to my top 10 and full disclosure. There's one thing that sticks out about it to me. I know. I know. We'll, we'll get and we've there. been discussed it. Um, I am not a voter this year. I turned in my vote just because for a few different reasons. One, time management. Two, I didn't like the process. Uh, I didn't like the way others voted, and I felt it cheapened the poll. Mm -hmm. And so I actually, at least I hope, gracefully backed out. This is how I would have voted in the top ten. Alabama one, Michigan number two, Ohio State three, Florida State four, Stanford five, Houston six, Texas at number seven, Clemson eight, Washington nine, Wisconsin ten. That's based on what I saw in week one. That's not adjusting for a poll I had previously. This is my first look. This is my first poll. This is how I'd throw them out there. Bruce, what do you think? Wow. Clemson. That was the one that jumped out at me. But they didn't look very good. I mean, Auburn's not a great team. No, but that's a tough place to play. They do have really good athletes on defense. Now, I don't know what, I mean, this is another story you and Brady could have had a 10-minute discussion on about Gus's three quarterbacks and switching them in and out. I don't know what's going on there. That doesn't bode well to me. But, you know, they're young defense. I thought some of those guys, Dexter Lawrence, he's going to be a stud. I thought he played very well. We saw Mike Williams come back, have a big game. I give them, I don't say I give them a complete pass for not blowing Auburn out, but that's a tough place to play. I think you can, I think that's a tougher sell than maybe going in Ohio State and Hawaii just destroy, or and Michigan just destroying teams that are, you know, not going to be competitive against almost any really good team. I thought Clemson's offense was supposed to be their strong suit. And you can compliment Auburn's defense all you want, but all I've seen for two years is Auburn's defense not play very well. Mm-hmm. And, and so to see Clemson's offense struggle like that, Dabo's lack of game management at the end, there were more concerns for me go, going out of that game than there. But you could say that you lack of game management, you, you yourself just had an issue with Brian Kelly's you know, juggling yes. of the quarterbacks, which I think most people would agree with you yes. on that and even david shaw in that in that sense so i don't know maybe I'm, i don't know if i say i'm giving a pass of clemson but to me clemson is I, I think they're still as good a team as outside of alabama i don't think that there's any possible way you can if you're a legitimate voter you can do anything but put alabama at number one after them finding a quarterback solving the run issues that they had in the first quarter blowing out a very talented team in usc i mean blowing them out they had, a, they had a water. massive meltdown. Let me ask you this. So we're talking USC. That was an embarrassing performance sure they had. If you're a USC fan, if you're not even, you're just an observer, who would you rather have as your head coach if you're USC, Tom Herman or Clay Helton? I mean, that... I like Clay I, I hope Helton that's personally. rhetorical. I, lo- I love Clay. You could, um, yeah, I mean, I mean the, the energy had, around one program is distinctly different than the other. You could have had you could have had Tom Herman right now, and I think USC. But that brings in a whole different discussion. And listen, I've I've been very public in my criticism of Pat. Hayden. I'm not asking to turn to Petros here. No, and, just, and, yeah. and and I'm fine because I've said this before in, in any number of different environments. I think Pat Hayden did a poor job running the athletic department at USC. I think it turned into a good old boys network. No doubt. I think no there doubt. was um, a a pretty large level of nepotism. 
that went on in terms of who was hired and for how much. Um, I think there's a real false sense of reality, both in the building and in their fan base. This is a program and a fan base that right now seems a bit lost. I, I would say I agree with you on the first part, gentlemen. I think there is no reality with that. The fan base part, I think most fans are, are a little bit delusional. I mean, that's what we love about them. They're very sure. passionate. They want to believe that, you know, that their freshman is going to be Ed Oliver. They sure. want to be their, their, their freshman is going to be Jalen Hurts sure. or whoever. So they're a little bit delusional or a lot of delusional. Or Sean Gary or yeah. any, any number of these And they, they're buying into the 247 rival stuff. And, you know, look, everybody has big-time recruits or whatever. Um, but I, I watched that game and kept thinking – and I don't mean this to be a knock on Clay Helton, but I just, this is a big job. And ultimately, that loss was on Pat Hayden. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. And another thing you don't do, hire a coach, then step down and let another athletic director have your hire before that coach has one game as the full-time head coach. My alma mater did that. They let an athletic director hire a coach, and then they fired the athletic director. That relationship has to be like lockstep. AD yeah. and coach. you got to have your guy. And, and it happens a lot. It happens a lot of places where you get the new AD and the other coach has been there like one year and he's not the guy. We'll see how they bounce back. Obviously, a lot of turmoil both within the program and, and outside of the program. Uh, but a lot of credit to what Bama did, including Jalen Hurts. Um, hey, what uh, just one other quick thing on Yeah, that. I was going to ask amazing, you about Sarkeesian because you know, it ties okay. in with both. most amazing thing to me about that game was Alabama's defense. You know, you have Juju Smith-Schuster, who Nick Saban himself compared to Des Bryant. One catch, nine yards. Right. I mean, that is, that's some serious talent. Credit to their secondary. But also, Calvin Ridley didn't have a big night, which is a credit to Adoree Jackson. I, yeah. There was some great secondary play in that game. Uh, unfortunately for USC, just like I said in previous episodes, their front seven it's it's not, just, they're not there. It's they're just not, not there. anywhere near there. Um, yeah. Defensively, I think they're going to struggle all year long. Before we get to Sark and, and ask you about Alabama and their staff changing a little bit, speaking of their staff, the tweet from Lane Kiffin after the game, he tweets out a picture of he and his, and his family and uh, basically hashtags 317 AM LA, LAX, 314 AM LAX, when he was fired by Pat Hayden. This is another reason why you say this loss is on Pat Hayden. The way he treated Lane Kiffin, firing him on the tarmac, post-game with the game ball, hashtag 314AM-LAX. By the way, epic, epic social media tweet. Yeah, that might have been Lane Kiffin's best social media move he has had. You know what? They hung 50 on him. You know, more power to Lane Kiffin on that. You You think it's a move that... If you're an AD, you'd go, I don't think that's a class. See, I, whatever. I personally think that Lane Kiffin is going to be the perfect hire for a program that desperately needs to be talked about, that is not anywhere near That's pretty much almost every program that tries to hire a new coach who has fired the guy before him. Yeah, but so many fail. You know, so many are so insecure in the way that they hire, and they just pick the safest hire rather than going out. Let me – and listen – he won. Mike McIntyre is doing a great job at Colorado. I'm just saying this for a for instance, and so I hesitate doing it. But at my alma mater, there hasn't been any conversation about their football program in a long time. That, that one instance would immediately put them on the national forefront as far as the media goes. You would get into living rooms. Tennessee and, and, had that going when Lane got there. That's the other side of it, though. I totally understand. But there's going to be a program out there. Again, I'm not suggesting Colorado. I'm saying like that. There's going to be a program out there that's desperate for attention that's going to give them a shot after this season. I fully believe that. 
I think you're right because he's winning, and that's a big thing. Uh, their staff got a little bit deeper. Steve Sarkeesian leaves Fox without calling the game yet. I know. <laughs> so I, I, I felt like, how are we going to get along Fox. without him? He was such a part uh, of us. He was, so he leaves, and he's going to be an, uh, an analyst. Offensive for, analyst. Uh, offensive Mike analyst. Anal- tell, Mike. tell us more about it. What's yeah, so this on? is a loaded staff. I mean, you, you go visit Tuscaloosa, and you, if you covered the sport for a while, you see all these familiar faces. Here's Mike Loxley. You know, here's... Uh, Mario Cristobal, here's Tosh Lupoi, here's Lane Kiffin, all these guys. Here's Bobby Williams, used to be a head coach at, mm-hmm. M- at Michigan State. Mort's son, Alex Mortensen, is a former Arkansas quarterback. He's on Nixon. Charlie Weiss's son. It's just a lot of guys. Uh, I, I said this on Twitter yesterday. No program is more committed to playing football at the highest level or to their head coach than Alabama is with Nick Saban. Nobody's even close. People can say not even close. And I mean, Michigan's giving the equivalent of nine million a year to Harbaugh. Yes, but they are not signing. They're not going to sign off on every move he makes. I don't think he could have blindly. You're yeah, right. You're it's, right. It's all Nick. Compliance doesn't mess with him a lot of ways. It's 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 this. And I think when you look at it, and it's all over a long period of time, and he has the rings to show for it, and everything's gone up, and they've made a fortune and money and everything else. Um, when it comes to Sark here, a couple of things. One, he if he has got his life together, and we, I think we all hope that he has sure. uh, he would seem like a very logical successor to to Sar to Lane Kiffin as the new offensive coordinator he did very well at USC a lot of people really respect what he can do uh, he fits well with Lane in in this mode the, the one thing I did think about a little bit is given that all you know his battles that he's coming off of you know he was with Lane you know they were they were buddies sure. and rolling and he's friends with Tosh Lupoi who's on the defensive side of the staff you know, you hope that that environment is not a tricky one, for him, a challenging one for him to navigate. Um, but beyond that, I think, you know, very few coaches, I think, could have pulled off this move to add it. And it makes and, a lot of sense. And on no one parts. questions it. It makes, it, makes yeah. per, it makes a lot of sense for Sark, for sure. Well, and, and the more eyes that you have, in particular experienced eyes, looking at your game plans, looking at, at film for you, it's going to make you better. This is one of the problems with college football. Listen, if I was Alabama, I'd actually absolutely do it. If it's not against the rules... Then you press the envelope. But this is one of the issues that I think could be fixed in college football if there were a commissioner, staff size, because the discrepancy is so wide. Oh, yeah. It's, cr- it's crazy that w- there's not some more of a, a, I don't even know, the, a boundary limit, a limit on staff. Now that support you know an analyst staff, can't yeah. be on the field, but support staff, you can hire 50 guys in the support staff. Yeah, and there's also weird ways to get around it. But, look, I went out to Louisiana Monroe, who's on the opposite end. They don't even have a full-time, full, full-time staff, That's much crazy. less all these other guys. A lot of these mid-major programs would have one guy who's, like, the director of football operations. He's the in-house recruiting coordinator. He's wearing, like, eight hats that, in, in these cases, Alabama has guys who are former head coaches who are making six figures, and they're very senior in their responsibilities. Um Big game on Saturday night, or excuse me, Sunday night, Texas and Notre Dame. We talked about it with Brady Quinn. We'll talk about it with Bruce. So Strong gets a big win. I thought this was very important for him because of what happened first game of last year. They got embarrassed in South Bend. Um, And I got to tell you, it takes a lot of brass to run Swoops back out there because that fan base has kind of been there, done that with, with Tyrone Swoops. And he puts him out there in the correct role with Bouchelle, and they all of a sudden look like a contender. And Hunter Pledger, uh, is Texas a legitimate contender? Writes us that question. We'll get to it right now. I believe they absolutely are. In particular, when you look throughout the depth of the Big 12, Oklahoma goes down 
Texas looks like one of the better teams in the conference right off the bat. Yeah, Shane Bouchelle plays as well as he does and gives them a downfield passing option. I mean, John Burt is world-class speed. Yes. I mean, and you see a lot of athleticism in this team. They're still really young, but they have really good sophomores on defense. I don't know. I mean, I think they are, they're a legitimate, you know, eight or nine win team in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're much ready to be beyond that. Um, you know, Notre Dame, it's it surprising to me that they were, you know, in nickel and your seed, you know, swoops is back there. You know he's not going to throw much. Yeah. And it was, I mean, he took it to them. And I thought one of the cool aspects of this for the bought into his role. Yep. You know, he's taken a lot of abuse and a lot of criticism while he's been there. And, it, you know, fair or unfair, that's, that's the reality of it. But for him to, to tell Shane Bouchelle, hey, whatever happens, I got your back. I'm going to be right there behind you and, and support him. And then to be the guy, I mean, when you have buy-in like that, mm-hmm. that's the difference, I think, between where Charlie Strong is now, I mean, and where he was when he got there, when he had guys who were basically quitting and had a sense of entitlement and it just didn't fit. Now he's got the buy-in and now he's got some athletes. He, he definitely went in there and tried to change a culture. And that was something that he fought against uh, in a dramatic fashion in order to change what was going on and the sense of entitlement that what is what he felt like running rampant through the program at Texas. Um, Charlie's bold move was kind of forced on him in some regard in that everybody at Texas loved what Art Bryles was doing and probably would have rather had Art Bryles than Charlie Strong. So after a couple of years, Charlie essentially succumbs and says, I'm going to go get an Art Bryles disciple to come and run my offense. So he gets Sterling Gilbert, and he gets him, and, and they go, and, you know, president flies. I mean, everybody's flying up to get Sterling Gilbert. It's like midnight, and they're on private planes getting it. They get it done, and then it works. Well, I, was, I thought that the philosophical change between a ball control offense, which is what Charlie was successful with at Louisville, and this style of offense was going to be difficult, but they went out there, ran close to 90 plays, outgained Notre Dame. I mean, their offense looked good. It looked in rhythm the entirety of the game. Well, keep in mind, too, we were just talking about Nick Saban, and I think Nick Saban's the best coach of college football we've ever had. But, you know, defensive coach who did something outside the box when he brought Lane Kiffin in. Yep. And Gary Patterson did the same thing. Yeah, I mean, and these are, these are defensive guys, as Charlie Strong is, and it has, they've gotten out of their comfort zone. You would think it's out of their comfort zone. Maybe it's. I think it you know, absolutely is. And, yeah. uh, Philosophically, I mean, all of that. And that can't be easy to, to do that. It's a gamble. It's a roll of the dice. But it is. It worked out in Tuscaloosa. It's definitely worked out in Fort Worth. And we'll see. So far, it looks like it's going to work out in Austin. Uh, Oklahoma, LSU, Notre Dame. Who had the more disappointing loss? LSU. I mean, to me, Notre Dame. It's like I don't. I didn't think Notre Dame was that good. You know, I think if Kaiser's there, they're a better team. I think we agree on that. But to me, LSU, man, gee, that, that was such a bad loss. I mean, Oklahoma, I think, lost to a very good team who's extremely well coached. Um, and there were so many adjustments that you could see Oklahoma making moving forward, right? Yeah. I mean, they lost to a team that won 13. They lost to a team, by the way, that, that won 13 games last year that beat just Florida, beat State, Florida State. State. So, but LSU, man, the offense, it was just. It was painful to watch that. Are you hearing anything uh, in regards to Cam Cameron? I think it's I think it's more of a less actually. If they lose to Auburn, I don't know if he's going to make the season. You know, I really wow. don't because I think it, it's such a toxic environment around there and so volatile that you know all of a sudden everything that that happened at the end of last year when he was teetering and he you know he it's hangs back. on. 
I think it's back after one terrible performance. Uh, Shelby Baldwin writes in on Facebook, do you all think Houston can reach the playoffs? I certainly think that they can. If they, here's what I've argued. The playoff was sold to us as a better version of access for everybody. That was part of the selling point is that it didn't have anything to do with necessarily Power Five or BCS conferences or so on and so forth, is that everyone would have legitimate access. If that's the case and Houston's undefeated, they should go to the playoff. There's not a doubt in my mind. I know that their schedule is not going to be as tough as others, and you could make a, a, an argument, which I'm sure I will at that point, about a one-loss conference champ should be in over Houston. But the fact of the matter is, is that we were told that there was access to the group of five. If they go undefeated after their season a year ago and after that opening win, they should be included. I tend to agree with you. I think it would be it really help them if Oklahoma turns around, either beats Ohio State or goes on and wins at least nine games. So they are a top 15, top 20 program. If Oklahoma turns around and goes seven and five, people are, gonna, people are going to take shots at it. Also, they need Louisville who they can play on a Thursday night at Houston in November. To yeah, to win. They don't need, you know, they don't need, it would help if, if Louisville ended up, you know, winning that division, but it's a loaded division with FSU and Clemson in. But if, if they are staying in the top 20, I think then it helps them. If both of those are kind of fringe, I think that's a tougher sell. But I think the big difference between the BCS, when it was Boise State as kind of the outlier and Houston, there's four, ch four opportunities, not two. So it gives them a better chance. I also wonder, I, don't, I think it's going to be a tough sell for them versus a one-loss SEC team. Probably. A two-loss Pac-12 team, I, st I think Houston should go in regardless of what, whatever happens there. I, I agree with you. Um, where are you at this weekend? I am in Waco with, That's uh, right. with our buddy Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman. And Love we it. got SMU against, uh, against Baylor. It's going to be an interesting situation down there. So. Baylor looks good in week one. I mean, they came out right away. Listen, their offense coordinator is still there, Kendall Bryles. And they got a lot of talent, especially of on talent. the first-level talent. I'm um, worried for them two and three years from now. Not as much this year. I think they're still eight, nine, ten-win yeah. team this year. Yeah, I would agree. At least an eight- or nine-win team. That, definitely. So you're heading down to Waco. I'll be in Utah. I'll be in Salt Lake for BYU at Utah. I can't wait to watch this game. I, I know you saw a little of the BYU game late on Saturday. BYU is veteran. I loved Ty Detmer's energy on offense and what he was doing with Taysom Hill back as their quarterback. Jamal Williams rushed for close to 200 yards. He was fantastic. Uh, and Kalani Sataki, who I've been a fan of for a long time, gets his shot as a head coach. A lot of people probably, Bruce, in the, in the circles, thought this was maybe a year or two early. Thought he was going to be a head coach, but maybe a year or two early. He gets his alma mater uh, to give him the job. And uh, it's going to be a great game because Utah is tough. They're tough defensively. They've got a great defensive tackle who you'll remember his name, Lowell Lotulele. He's star Lotulele's younger brother. He's phenomenal right in the middle. They've got Kylie Fitz, who's a UCLA transfer. He's back. Um, and they're just okay, good enough on offense with a lot of transfers, a lot of guys that have come in and first-year players. But it's going to be like a slobber knocker type of a game. Utah. Kyle Whittingham against Kalani Sataki. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. Obviously, Taysom Hill can really run it. I mean, Jamal Williams looked great. You know, he had the year out before. A very, you know, very productive running back. If he runs through this defense, I'm not saying it gets him in the Heisman race. Oh, people will be talking about it. But, yeah, him. I think this is a chance for people to find out about how good that guy is. BYU's schedule is right up there with USC and Stanford, you know, for some of the more difficult schedules in the country. Um, 
this is obviously one of those. The other real quality marquee game, Virginia Tech and Tennessee. Um, I, th I thought Tennessee looked really bad, very similar to what LSU looked like. How do you, Josh Dobbs has got to be better than that. You know, Brandon Harris and Josh Dobbs have played a lot of football, and they go out there and still make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Uh, and then obviously Vatek. Uh, is coming in. That's one that's at the Bristol Motor Speedway. Yeah, the big clunker for me for, for Tennessee, and I think Appalachian State's a good team. I think they're really underrated. But what I was sold on them was the leadership on that defense. And early in the game, you have Jalen Reeves-Maven. He gets a targeting. He's ejected. Cam Sutton, their best defensive back, he fumbles a punt. It was like mm -hmm. so when you get bad play from some of your veteran guys, I mean, Dobbs was, was shaky. I, I don't know if, like, I, you know, I think Josh Dobbs is an awesome story. He's yeah. a brainiac kid who does a ton of great work off the field, and he can make some plays in the run game, and he's inconsistent as a passer. To me, that's the biggest thing holding him back is, can he ever be consistent enough as a passer uh, for them to be a legitimate top 10 team? I don't know. I think it remains to be seen. It, it, They're I, certainly not in my top 10. It's not a resounding one. I mean, they can they could win the the, the SEC just because it's not very good. I don't think the SEC is very good. No, even it's the, not. Even the Georgia-North Carolina game, I was I was torn about the quality of football I was seeing outside of Nick Chubb, by the way. Right. Great story. Great comeback. I mean, he might be the best running back in that conference. I, he's never I had mean, a, Leonard Fournette is, is special. He is, but Nick Chubb's never had one bad game that he's played star, that he's actually played the whole way. Not one. He's been over 100 yards Leonard every Fournette time. Fournette has to overcome Cam Cameron. <laughs> hey, he's got, I mean, Grayson Lambert. I mean, we're not, talking about, we're not talking about Aaron Murray back That's there. True. Bruce, I appreciate it, man. Always fun. At Bruce Feldman CFB on Twitter is how you follow him. The Audible podcast with he and Stuart Mandel. Uh, make sure to download that and get involved with what uh, Bruce and Stu are doing uh, on their podcast. We'll be back next week, uh, just like we will every single week, right here on Facebook Live at 7.30 Eastern on the College Football on Fox page. Uh, I'm Joel Klatt. This show has been presented by Dr. Pepper. Thank you so much for watching.